Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to inquiry, reflection, questions, possibilities, and more, all in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. Indeed, an hour dedicated to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us integrate all of our knowledge and perhaps even challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour where we strive to evaluate knowing as inseparable from the total experience of reality. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. Last week, our guest was dream expert, Dr. Gillian Holloway. She shared a couple of pieces of novel work with us, suggesting that our dreams are often preparatory and that they come in stages during our development. She also indicated that her research suggested that there was a certain personality type, perhaps as the result of unique family peer socialization that experienced precognitive dreams. It was a very interesting hour, and if you missed the show, be sure to check it out in our archives. Kevin had this to say about the show. I thought today's show was excellent. The guest was really articulate and confident with her analysis. Elaine wrote, great show, Eldon. I think the best part of the message on dreaming for me is that Dr. Holloway talked about dreams showing us, preparing us for life and situations. Well, I agree with that, Elaine. The preparatory idea is indeed fascinating. Thanks for your feedback. JJ wrote, love, love, love your show. Well, thank you, JJ, and thanks for getting me that information that I needed. Sonny wrote, the very forum Eldon seeks to offer with provocative enlightenment is what I felt spirits say. Now join in. I invite anyone who is seeking more in the way of enlightening subject material to listen to this show. I look forward to so much more provocative enlightenment. Well, thank you very much, Sonny, and we'll do our very best to live up to your encouraging words. Jennifer wrote, Hi, Ravinder. Thank you for asking my question about the uh, out of the chat room this week. I love the chat room because it makes me feel engaged with the show. Although I can't call from work, which is where I am during the show, I am able to get involved in another way, and we have so much fun in the chat room. Now, that's a really nice note, Rav. Are you going to thank Jennifer? I'm thanking her right this second. Hi, Jen. She's in the chat room now? She's right here. Okay. Iselda wrote, Hi, Eldon. Whenever I listen to your Intertalk CDs, especially the Ozo CDs, I always picture you talking to me. It's like you're my dad telling me that I can do it all. Luck and success is meant for me. It's my birthright. Thank you for all that you do. I love your CDs. I have several, and I listen to them faithfully. They have changed my life for the better. Peace and love to you. Well, thank you very much for your warm remarks. You just gave me a new warm, fuzzy feeling, and I treasure those. I will use your letter, Zelda, to remind our listeners that we offer a number of Intertalk programs as downloadable MP3s at absolutely no charge. It's all a part of our own Pay It Forward program, so you can get yours by visiting eldentaylor.com and choosing free programs from the left-hand navigation pane. Do it today. All right, now here's a comment on my newest book, What If the Challenge of Self-Realization, from Jillian, last week's guest. Quote, very few books have the power to potentiate your life like this one. It is packed with questions that invite us to step outside our familiar assumptions and to view things from new angles. This book does not provide a sympathetic pat on the head and encouragement to keep on keeping on. 
Instead, it asks shocking questions to encourage you to jump the fence here and there, explore a new perspective, and learn where the tricky vines of habituation have been holding you back. You may not love every single word of this book, but you will love the sense of power, authority, and capability you feel toward life when you finish it. Books that promise easy answers are a dime a dozen. Empowering questions to unlock the gates are priceless. Well, thank you, Jillian, and to all of you. If you've not yet obtained your copy, be sure to go to my website and click the party banner at the top of the page featuring the book. You will find instructions on how you can obtain uh, over 100 free gifts when you get your copy at Barnes, Noble, or Amazon. And Ravinder, this is a book that is stirring quite some controversy, isn't it? It most certainly is. Pushes some buttons. It doesn't tell you what you want to hear, but it is still impacting me, and I think that says a lot. I think, you know, a lot of people expect an answer, and the book is not a book of answers. It's a book of questions. But that's where the answers lie within. I couldn't agree more, but at any rate, if <clears throat> you may not want to get the book. Uh, that's just a warning. Manawa wrote, I'd be very interested to hear Eldon interviewing Eric Maisel, author of The Atheist Way. Both Eric and Eldon focus on ways of finding and deciding on meaning in one's life and the steps one needs to take to do just that. Although seemingly at different poles, I think there is very fertile matter to go over here, one I would enjoy tuning into. Love your work, too, by the way. Well, thank you, Manawa, and we have reached out to Eric. We'll see if he's willing to join us. I'm quite willing to have that conversation. Finally, Elaine wrote, Hi, Eldon, I want to participate in your offer, a great offer for the I Can Do It Online. Is it like going to the chat room on your site, sort of? I am just asking before I commit so I can see how it all works. Thanks. Well, thanks for the question, Elaine. And I'll use it to invite all of our listeners to attend this Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, for a special two-hour presentation titled Mind, Meaning, and Mysteries. This is an online Hay House radio event, so when you sign up for the event, you will receive a special Earl to tune into. You can sign up by going to eldentaylor.com and choosing the I Can Break Through the Limits online course. You can also find that at Hay House. By, by signing up now, you will gain access to special presentations by five other Hay House authors, uh, including Brian Rice, Cheryl Richardson, Chris Carr, and Marcel Pick. So act today. Check it out. You can go, like I say, to eldentaylor.com. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon at eldentaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. You can also just leave comments on my website. I do try to read all of your letters. Obviously, we can't get them all on the air, but they do impact our programming. I highly value your input, so once again, thank you, all of you. And now to today's show. Every now and then, along comes a perspective that becomes a language, an institution, not just an idea or a book. Think of Freud for a minute. He left us with a language. We all know and discuss such things as subconscious strategies, the ego, the role of dreams as a doorway to the subconscious, and so forth. Imagine an in-depth discussion about the human being, motives and behavior, without the constructs we call ego or the subconscious mind. Well, today's guest has done something remarkably similar. There are some great authors that add to our vocabulary, like Lewis Carroll and Rosy Colored Glasses, or Joseph Heller's Catch-22, and so on. 
Our guest today didn't just give us a catchy label or phrase, but an entirely novel way to understand communication between men and women. Everyone today must have heard at one time the phrase, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. This phrase has come to be a standard when expressing the communication differences between the two sexes, and it's nothing less than the title to a now-famous book that sold over 50 million copies and was written by today's guest, Dr. John Gray. Now, my lovely wife, who is smiling right now, remembers reading this book and discovering that, you know, there are such things as caves and men do hide in them. And it, w- it made a remarkable difference in our relationship. It most certainly did. Okay. It certainly did. Dr. John Gray is the best-selling relationship author of all time. He is the author of 16 books, including the New York Times number one bestseller. Uh, of the last decade, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. He is an internationally recognized expert in the fields of communication and relationships. His unique focus is assisting men and women in understanding, respecting, and appreciating their differences. He has appeared on numerous national television and radio shows, including, of course, The Oprah Show, Good Morning America, The Today Show, The CBS Early Show, The View, and many more. His newest book, which is a great read, you're going to want to, you're definitely going to want to get this one, Venus on Fire, Mars on Ice, deals with a hormonal balance as a key to life, love, and energy. In the book, he reveals the connections between hormone levels and happiness. And if that sounds blasé or boring, it is not, I guarantee you. And he advises men and women to harness the connections between stress, blood sugar, body fat, and behavior to create lifelong passion and better health. So let's get right to our special guest. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. John Gray. Hi, good to talk to you. It's a pleasure to be on your show. It's our pleasure indeed, sir. Let's begin, if we may, by having you tell us, tell our audience, how, when, and why you first became interested in the differences, I mean, other than the obvious differences, between men and women. Well, I, uh, practically speaking, as a marriage counselor back in the 70s and 80s, uh, a common theme in those days is that men and women are supposed to be the same. And what I observed as a therapist is it kept creating more trouble. Uh, women were expecting men to respond to situations the way, the way women did. And if men didn't, then women would be upset and be bothered. They, they had no way to understand men if, if men truly were different. And that was my premise. Uh, <clears throat> I developed these ideas, uh, ironically, because for nine years I was a, a celibate monk. Uh, and then I started becoming a marriage counselor. Uh, first, <clears throat> and the perspective that I had was really one of unconditional love. And when you approach situations from unconditional love, you tend to take longer to take, you take the time to understand someone's unique perspective rather than quickly judge it. And with that insight, I was able to develop a lot of basic concepts built around how many women commonly misinterpreted each other, creating trouble where they didn't have to be trouble. Now, you heard the setup piece. I mean, and, and I mean this sincerely. My wife and I uh, prospered greatly in our relationship from from your work, okay? I but, appreciate that. Uh, on a personal note, uh, has your research enriched your own relationship? Oh, my gosh, completely. <laughs> I would, 
I clearly would not be married. I'd be married probably several times if I didn't have this information. I mean, it was, uh, it's still critical for, for the success of our relationship is to be reminded of these ideas. Uh, you know, I even, I wrote the book and, and there are many books on it. I even have little stickers that I occasionally put on my, my bathroom mirror just to remind me, take the time to listen, you know, because the <laughs> men typically will listen to content, like digital content, and then we want to jump on solving it or fixing it or doing something about it. And it's so instinctive to us, and yet to realize that for women, their brains are wired up differently, and that the talking part of the brain actually, by talking about feelings, it reduces a woman's stress levels, even before they try to solve the problem. Just talking about it can reduce stress levels. But for men, generally speaking, it's taking action to solve a problem or forgetting the problem temporarily that helps men to cope with stress. Okay, now, I, I, you know, there is this saying that we teach what we want to learn, and I'm sure you've heard that. I look at the books that you've written, and, and I, I see kind of an evolving path, and I just kind of have to ask. I mean, I think uh, I, I saw that you're at the age where you're beginning to pay attention to hormonal balances. Right, right. Did, did, you, did you live into this? I mean, is there kind of a, are, are we looking, when we look at the stories of your different books, are we actually looking at your life as you're evolving? Absolutely, and I share those stories right from my life. This is my journey. You know, I mean, some of us, uh, I, I'd say my gift is the ability to articulate ideas in front of an audience, and, and basically, and I'm an eternal student, so I continue to learn, and everything I learn, I then present to my groups, and particularly the things I've been successful at, I, I, I thrive at, at sharing those ideas as well. All right, let's, let's go to your new book. You address the different ways in which men and women deal with stresses in their lives. Tell me, okay, why is it important to understand this, and, and how do they differ? Well, it's so important. It's like your wife was mentioning, that understanding that sometimes you go to your cave, it, it helps you to re- interpret that behavior cor- correctly. Often, when a man tends to withdraw and want to be alone for a little while, I call that cave time, a woman can see, oh, she can misinterpret that and take it personally and think, oh, he doesn't love me. You know, he doesn't care about me. I'm not important. Why doesn't he want to ask me about my day? Why is he ignoring me? And so that was a way of explaining it. And now, today, we're under more stress than ever before. So for many people, these differences are even more exaggerated. And we've got now 20 years of research at the universities backing up those basic ideas I wrote about so long ago. And, for example, men going to their cave, now we understand that men's bodies, uh, basically to be healthy and have be in a good mood, uh, require about 30 times more testosterone than a woman. And so that's one big difference. The next difference is during the day, uh, because men have a greater muscle mass and the way their bodies are designed, men tend to use up their testosterone very quickly, unlike women. So at, by the end of the day, a man who needs 30 times more testosterone is needing to rebuild that testosterone, and the way you rebuild it is by... <clears throat> In a sense, going to your cave, they've shown that when men relax their muscles, relaxing the muscles in a non-stressful environment <clears throat> actually rebuilds testosterone levels. So men may not know all this. They just know that when they come home after a day of work, they just want to sit down and relax for a while and forget all their problems. And their wives, who don't have that same dynamic for coping with stress, have a different reaction, which is often it's, 
the, the need to share with their partner, to communicate, to interact, to have a personal relationship at that time, because those activities will stimulate the release of a hormone called oxytocin. And oxytocin is a hormone that lowers stress in women. And it's our lifestyle that determines how much oxytocin we have. And what happens is men typically have plenty of oxytocin, but women run out of it very quickly because the higher estrogen levels are, the more you use up your oxytocin. And when oxytocin levels are used up, then women have no way to lower their stress levels. So if you look at, so what I've done in this book is what are all the different ways women can first understand how they cope with stress, but second, how they can make more oxytocin, and third, how a man can help her to do that as well. Not putting the whole burden on the man, but at least I know how I can support my wife uh, from a more uh, efficient perspective. So, okay, the the man comes home at the end of the day. He's worn out. He's going to He's going to sit down maybe on the sofa and turn on the news or do something, you know, curl up in his recliner with a book or something. I've got that That's right. That's the concept, right? yes. Okay. And, and what, not forever. The... I'm not like saying, here's a free pass, men. Just ignore your wives and women. Just live with it. <laughs> no, right. No, I got you. <laughs> I'm just helping to explain why that phenomena happens. And, and, and yet there are tools that I talk about in the book on, you know, how to engage your partner. But that couch can become quite cozy, and guys don't realize that what their wives are needing from them. So it doesn't always motivate men to get off the couch. So that's what my book's about as well. Right. Now, now the woman comes home at the end of the day. What is it that she needs besides conversation? Oh, well, she needs attention. She needs support. It depends upon the, the home. But as a therapist... What I'll see is the three major issues that women will complain about. This is where they'll say they're missing out. They feel ignored. They feel neglected. They feel not heard. So not heard is is lack of uh, communication from her perspective. Uh, Also, lack of romance. Uh, He doesn't say he loves her. He doesn't do affectionate expressions of affection. Uh, they, They stop planning dates. They stop doing special things together to a certain extent. And then there's another category where women will tend to complain, gee, you know, I'm overstressed, I'm doing everything, and I'm not getting any help from my husband around the house. So those are the three, three areas, and they all equate into one concept, which is that when a woman feels alone or isolated, it doesn't rebuild her oxytocin. And certainly a guy sitting in his couch in the cave uh, makes a woman feel alone. And so there's no sort of oxytocin being rebuilt, particularly if she's thinking, my husband doesn't care about me, he doesn't want to support me, and I'm all by myself here. I mean, you know, there's one thing about being alone. Another thing is feeling alone when you're right next to somebody that used to love you. And in her mind, she can be thinking that when really the truth is much farther from that and that she's got some uh, misinterpretation of the situation. One is, why is he pulling away? It's not personal. Two is, is he... Does he not care, and, and is he willing to help? Is he willing to support? Of course he is, but she doesn't know that. It's like I'm up at the, I have a ranch where I teach some of my workshops, and my wife is packing up the house, and I'm out talking to the, the ranch hands, and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're willing to do anything for me and for her, and we're standing there talking, and Bonnie's walking up, and she's got all these bags, and she stops, and she says, uh, is it one of you going to offer to help me? And we all jump to offer to help her, but... Men don't typically think to help unless they're asked to do things. And, of course, there's some exceptions to this, but typically when women complain that men aren't helping, 
it's often, if, if I analyze it, is that women haven't yet been taught how to ask those men, nor have men been taught that women aren't really good at asking. So you have to offer whenever possible. So, so if I've got this straight, then the, the call to all of us guys is when we get home, you know, pitch in, do the dishes, do some house cleaning, give, give the wife a big hug, sit down, have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, a little bit of a chat before you crawl onto that sofa and crash. Well, no, that's not my message. It, you know, I'm not about shoulds for people. That would be ideal if that works for somebody. It could be the other way around, which is a couple of days a week a guy does that, and a couple of days a week a guy goes and crashes and then, then does that when he's done crashing. It's kind of a sense of, you know, <clears throat> a woman wants to talk to her husband. How long should she talk every day? It's, it's too regimented. It's too restricted. It's too right and wrong. And I don't live in that world, but I do explain that women have these needs and they're important, and men have their needs, and they're important. And each couple is going to work out how they meet those needs. You know, I've heard women who say, oh, my husband helps with everything, and then you find out what he does. He makes eggs on Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and then, you, then you find out this woman who says, my husband doesn't help at all. And you find out, you know, the guy's vacuuming the house, he cleans the garage, he fixes the computer, he fixes the roof, you know, he does the laundry, <laughs> he does all these things. And, and But she has her perception, you know, so relationships are extremely complicated. And I, the last thing I would want is for someone to be quoting me saying, John Gray says you should do this, 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 this. <laughs> uh, I have no problem. I have no problem somebody saying John Gray says women need this and men need that because these are realities that are true. So have you uh, you thought about taking up politics quite quite clearly? <laughs> no, I would. I get close to politics. <laughs> well, you gave me a very politically correct oh, answer. Yeah, I mean, what else can I've, I taken say? A, I've taken up therapy. In therapy, yeah. you never sit there. As, I mean, as, as for me as a therapist, I do not tell couples what they should do. I help them understand each other. For example, I help teach women how to, first of all, realize that if a man's not automatically doing things for you, then you, you need to motivate him. And she, she will often think, I shouldn't have to motivate her. And I go, yes, you do. And the fact that he isn't motivated is not a sign he doesn't love you. And, and men can say, well, if she wants this, she should ask for it. And I say, well, maybe she has difficulty asking for it. Let's start working on how making it comfortable for her to ask for things. You know? and, and so there's a way of hearing people's needs and then finding unique solutions. Everybody is so complicated that to say one size fits all is not my message at all. But what I am standing on is really, really important information that says, that men and women are truly very, very different in very significant ways. And there's so much discontent today in relationships. So many people have just given up on relationships. You know, a lot of people listening to your show have just given up on relationships. And so they find their primary relationship is more of a spiritual relationship or a self-help relationship. And they sort of given up on that other one. And, you know, that's... it's not your case. I know that's not your case, but, you know, it all connects together. But you can do your Let's very, very. You can do your very best, but if you don't have the right skills for relationships, they won't work out. All right. Let's pick that back up after the break. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. My guest today is Dr. John Gray, and we're discussing his new book, Venus on Fire, Mars on Ice. If you're in our chat room, enjoy the short film Ravinder has for you today, featuring our guest. We'll be right back after these words from some of our friends. Be sure to stay tuned. Confusion, deception, manipulation, 
feeling a bit controlled, lost? Learn how you can take back control of your life through proven techniques in Eldon Taylor's revised edition of Choices and Illusions. This New York Times bestseller is a guidebook to your journey to self-actualization filled with practical, real-life solutions backed by scientific studies and guaranteed to awaken your inner genie. Get your copy today from all bookstores. Have you talked to yourself lately? What does that inner voice say? Are you constantly hearing negative feedback? Ready for a change? Inner Talk, Eldon Taylor's patented subliminal technology, can do just that. Change your inner self-talk. Turn off the negative by replacing it with positive affirmations. Inner Talk has been researched at universities such as Stanford and by governments around the world and has been proven effective at priming your self-talk. Armed with a new positive outlook, you'll find everything becomes easier, from losing weight to stop smoking, giving presentations to riding horses, learn new things to being a powerful salesperson. Choose your title for change today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. Innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing with Dr. Author, I'll get that said right, Dr. John Gray, his new book, Venus on Fire, Mars on Ice. But before we get back to today's show, I want to invite you to check out my blog at the Huffington Post. This week's blog has stirred some controversy. Oh, uh, I, I, I don't know why that is, Ravinder. What is the deal with, with controversy and provocative in me? I mean, what is that all about, huh? All provocative. All right. Also, <laughs> how about liking our Facebook fan page for Provocative Enlightenment Radio? As a fan of the show, you'll receive special announcements and incentives from time to time. It's just our way of thanking you for your support. I would also like to invite you to join me on Facebook while you're there, and, of course, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, and we welcome your calls now this next half hour. But uh, as we get back to the show, just before the break, we were talking about, uh, or Dr. Gray was speaking about failed relationships and people that just uh, give up on them. And I recently did an article or did a paper on this. So right on the top of my head is the fact that the divorce rate in America is now, you know, for all intent and purposes, nearly 50%. Oh, no, it's much higher. It's unbelievable. Yeah, when you look uh, when you look at the divorce rate, it's you know fifty percent of first marriages get divorced, uh, sixty to seventy percent of second marriages, and eighty to ninety percent of third. Yeah, sixty-seven percent of second and seventy-four percent of third marriages end, uh, according to uh, uh, the Institute of Professional Psychology. But uh, those that's incredible numbers, and when you when you realize, and I sit here. <clears throat> And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add another accolade to, or praise to you, sir, because as I sit here, I look at my lovely wife. We've been married for 21, coming 22 years. And uh, there was a point in time, uh, maybe 18, 19 years ago, that all of the, you know, the excitement, the glamour, the hormones, they kind of wore off. And then there was a absolute inability to communicate. We didn't relate at all. 
And had we given up, you know, had we walked away, had had maybe not your material come along, had there not been some some something there, we would have been one of those statistics. So what is it that you tell everybody today? Well, I tell them a lot, but I was reading over, <laughs> if, you, if you don't mind, I was just reading, I, you know, you have the blog that's going along with the show. So I just, during your break, I was reading all the comments that people were making. Right. And, you know, I... You hear some of these comments like, why should it be the woman's responsibility to motivate the man? And this is, again, it's not her responsibility, but why should it be my responsibility to earn a living in life? (laughs) I can be a victim or I can learn how to get what I want. And if we want to flip the side of it, why is it the man's responsibility to listen to the woman, to create dates for the woman, to be affectionate to women? In those cases, women will say, well, if he loves her, he should. So I'll turn around. Why is it a woman's responsibility to motivate the man? If she loves him, she should. If you want to put shoulds into the dynamic, it's just understanding that men and women really are different. When a man goes to work, he's motivated because he's getting paid. He's made a commitment. He has a job description. Men traditionally have done what culture's job description was for men, and that used to be enough. For my dad, he was a good guy. He earned a a good living. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He was spiritual, kind, and generous. He helped the poor. He came home, and he pretty much ignored my wife and the family unless there was some little emergency or crisis, and he handled it. Otherwise, he sat and watched the news. And he was kind of a quiet guy. My wife was, my wife, my mother was very happy with him. He was fulfilling his role uh, as a man in those days. Today, the roles have to change. The roles are changing, and yet we don't have hundreds of years of culture to teach men and teach women what those roles are. So we're in the middle of creating a change. So women have really changed it up, and I like the change. My daughters all have careers, and it's really wonderful, and they're happily married and so forth. And yet if you're going to shake it up and you're suddenly going to go out and have jobs and work in the world and become much more stressed than women were in the past, then your needs change and your needs are important, but you have to learn how to communicate to others how to meet those needs. We can't just naively expect men to know what's expected of them, and we need to have realistic expectations that don't ignore the other person's needs as well. So I like to talk from the point of view of whether any man ever reads any of my books A woman can gain insight about the way men think and feel, about what probably her needs are, and how he can meet them. And there's not any one set of needs, but we can make generalizations. I saw another comment from a woman who says, gee, you know, these stereotypes, they they fit some people, but they don't fit everybody. And what I would say back to there, if you look at brain research, if you look at hormone differences between men and women, they do fit everyone to a great extent, you know, we're talking in the 90 percentile. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying people should be this way, but if you're stressed and you're a woman, typically you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling kind of exhausted, and if you're married for a while, you'll start to feel resentful. When that's the case, these suggestions that I make are enormously helpful. So everything I do is not like women should be this way, men should be that way, but it's more about Women, your brains are this way. What will help you cope with stress is this and this and this. Oxytocin-stimulating activities are wonderful. 
one of the most powerful ways to produce oxytocin to lower a woman's stress is if she's able to talk to her partner about her feelings. Many women say when they're really stressed, what they say is John Gray says, women want to talk at the end of the day. Well, I don't want to talk at the end of the day. I don't have any time to talk at the end of the day. And I say, that's fine, and that's why you're more stressed. And you may want to get everything done, but it's causing you more stress to do it. If you took the time and took the time to learn how to communicate what you feel in a language where your partner didn't feel blamed or criticized or put upon, if you learn that language and you learn that skill of sharing your feelings, it would dramatically lower your stress and improve your relationships and improve your life. So what I'm doing is telling people this is a self-help mechanism that will work that you're not doing now if you're stressed. So certainly women are going to say, well, he says women are this way, but I'm not. And I'm saying, I'm not saying women are this way. <laughs> I'm saying women's brains are designed so that when you talk about your feelings, it will lower your stress. Men's brains are designed that if they talk about upset feelings, it actually raises their stress. So one, one, one solution doesn't fit all. All right. Let me, let me <laughs> just, ask you this. I've got to react to all the, you know, because I got to see all the comments, so I'm sure it was helpful for some of the people writing in. But uh, yeah, they, they, I mean, you stole some of the thunder. You know, there were I had all these questions out oh, of the chat room, and you, and you were well, of course, of course. But that's good. <laughs> we like our guests to go into the chat room. I know. Okay, we, I was we, we like you to go in there and share. So that's great. <laughs> now let me ask you this. You're familiar with John Kappas' model of implicit, explicit learning styles. A bit. Okay. So you know, do, you, do you find that in communication, in dialogues between men and women, that a, a preference to, I mean, let me digress, I guess, and make sure we're clear on this. My wife and I, for example, have two different ways of processing information. So you know, my wife could say to me as a case in point, uh, that door should be closed, and I'm literal and direct. I'll just get up and go close the door. But I could say to my wife, that door should be closed. She's more or less, impl you know, uh, implicit, and, and she'll look at it and say, yeah, you're right. That, that probably should be closed. <laughs> uh, do you find that these styles of communication also enter into the equation? I mean, you can sit down and talk, but my experience is sometimes it just, you know, it's two kinds of languages. You may as well, as you say, you know, it may as well be Swahili and, and Greek. It, exactly. And, and, and implicit and explicit are clearly one way of looking at some of the distinctions and the way men and women misunderstand, way people misunderstand each other. And where, where my little niche would go with that one is where I would say is, is my wife would clearly say, you know, the, the door shouldn't be left open. Okay, okay. <laughs> But she'd be really wanting, and if she really wants me to close the door, she should say, will you close the door? Particularly when it comes to requests, men assume that if you don't ask, then we don't have to do it, that you're either fine with it or you're going to do something. Let me give you another example where, where women would say one thing and think it's being heard, and men would hear another, another thing. A woman might say to her husband, would you like to go out to dinner tonight? And the husband would say, no, I'd rather just sit home on the couch, watch TV, and have you make me dinner. <laughs> and he doesn't even realize how abrasive and rude that might sound to her, because he assumes that if she says, would you like to go out to dinner, she's concerned about what he would like. And, and, she, and generally speaking, if she says that to him, she's really saying, you know, I don't want to make dinner tonight. 
let's go out to eat. Will you take me? <laughs> or right. would you make dinner for me? <laughs> so there's a lot that goes on in our statements. You know, another one is, um, you know, I don't know why this didn't get done. And I always chuck up my wife and I say, well, it was you or it was me. And clearly it wasn't you, so are you suggesting it's me? <laughs> but, you know, women definitely have, as a general rule, now not every woman, but as a general rule, there's a tendency to be indirect with women and a kind of frustration that men will feel, which is just tell me, just tell me, just tell me. And she says, I am, I am, I am. So clearly, you know, you hit one kind of uh, distinction. I was mentioning another. But, but great, both great distinctions. But all right, that gives rise to a comment or a question coming out of the chat room from Mark. And he wants to know if this type of communication can be applied to other relationships, such as discussions between liberals and, he says, liberals and Republicans. I guess he considers Republicans conservatives. At any rate, yes. <laughs> well, uh well, first of all, my specialty is gender and not Republicans and liberals. At the same time, in the middle of my whole communication about men and women and relationships and parent to child, I've written books on that as well, it's basically good communication skills. We just have to keep in mind, as one, one of your commenters said, I thought was quite brilliant, uh, basically said, you know, the real essence of what they got from men or from Mars is don't assume when you say something that your partner is really going to understand it because they probably don't. And that's I think true. that is, you know, that's one of the brilliant uh, summaries of a good communication course is the assumption that uh, if I said it, then they heard it. And if I said it, then they should have heard it, as opposed to if it seems like they're not listening or they're not hearing or they're misunderstanding, rather than blame them as a shortcoming, let me reevaluate how I said that. So, you know, one of the communication skills I suggest for men and women is, is never make the other person wrong for what they heard, but instead of saying, you're not listening, which I think is one of the worst things you can ever say to anybody, although we think uh, we can easily just say that. No, you don't understand, or no, you don't listen. When you make those kind of comments, you just shut someone down, as opposed to another simple communication skill, as simple as saying, hmm, let me try saying this differently. And as soon as I say to you, let me try saying this differently, there's an implicit message that says, you didn't hear what I said, but I'm not blaming you for it. I'm taking responsibility for being the communicator rather than blaming you for not hearing me. <clears throat> right. I, th I so, think whatever we can do to take blame out of our relationships and judgment, it's always going to help love to flourish. And, you know, that's the context in which I share the Mars-Venus ideas, which is there's so much misinterpretation of men and women. And for the, for the small percent of women, for example, who, when their mother was in the womb, there's the drug uh, that was given in the 50s that raised her testosterone levels, and it caused the little girls to become uh, much more masculine. Uh, and so those are the exceptions, and they grew up in the, in the 60s, and they became very rebellious <laughs> and started the feminist movement, a portion of it, a wave of it. And to this day, they don't give that drug anymore, but they do have the research on that, that these women do have much, much higher levels than other women of testosterone, and therefore they'll take on many of the attributes of men. They still have the same hormonal system of women, which is coping with stress through nurturing activities that stimulate oxytocin. So for them, it's going to be even more challenging to cope with stress. So they tend to have a higher level of discontent in life and a confusion about, you know, why is everybody happy with this? Um, that, that comes about when a woman's testosterone levels are too high she can still cope with it, 
by knowing that oxytocin, this hormone oxytocin, will help lower her stress. She just needs to make a deliberate effort to do things that maybe more girly girls do. Uh, Even to this day, when mothers are more stressed in the first few months of their pregnancy, uh, it can cause a spike in testosterone levels in the baby girl and cause her, as an adult, to become more, we'll say, testosterone-oriented, meaning more masculine attributes. Uh, They find that competitive runners are that way. Uh, There's an interesting study they did in England where they showed that if you look at your hand and you stick your hand up and you've got your forefinger and your ring finger, and if your uh, ring, if your forefinger, that's the finger next to your thumb, if it's higher than your ring finger, it's a sign that you have higher testosterone levels. <laughs> and they found that very competitive uh, women and men all had that. Uh, mm. This is an interesting. I mean, we are governed to a great extent by our hormones. And regardless of the hormones in the womb or how much testosterone a woman does have, uh, she still has this other dynamic in her body, in her brain, which is set up where if testosterone is used, it doesn't lower her stress levels. But, but for a man, testosterone does lower his stress levels. And for what lowers stress in women is the hormone oxytocin. So she has this sort of feedback loop in her body, which is that when she does nurturing activities, it's a major stress reducer. But if she runs out of oxytocin, meaning she's, she's low in oxytocin and she does nurturing activities, it doesn't lower her stress. So this is the difference between if you enjoy shopping, you could go shopping. It's proven to be uh, an oxytocin rebuilder uh, for women. Their, their oxytocin levels will rise when they go shopping. But that same nurturing activity, if she was to do it and she's rushed and in a hurry, she'd be releasing testosterone, using testosterone, And that would inhibit the production of oxytocin, and it would not go up. So, you know, there's a few variables here. And and one of the things that we haven't talked about, and I want to go to next, I mean, we are always predisposed. Our neurochemicals, our chemistry, the body chemistry itself, passes through a lens, a lens we call perception, that has a whole lot to do with our expectations so, so tell me, I mean, you write about this in, in all of your books, but this is an important component, the role of expectation in relationships. Oh, it's so huge. It's so huge. And, and the way I would, you know, talk about it and the way I do talk about it is the role of unrealistic expectations. I mean, I have no problem with expectations. When I get in my car, I expect to arrive at a destination. When I go to a job, I expect to get paid. I, I wouldn't go if I didn't get, expect to. You know, I'm doing this interview. I expect you to do a great job, and I checked you out, and you do a great job. So, so I'm happy my expectations are right. And, and what we need to do is when our expectations aren't satisfied, then that's a, a source of dissatisfaction. We adjust our expectations. The problem is, is that people in relationships have so many unrealistic expectations. So I try to help make people help people correct their unrealistic expectations to a more realistic expectation. Let me give you an example of this. One of the big problems in marriage today is what I'll call the feminization of women, of men, which is men you know, are attempting to become more feminine because women's expectations are such that men should behave in certain ways. And this is happening a lot more in the younger generation, the 20-somethings, the young guys are you know, see their parents getting divorces, and the girls have all these expectations of guys, and the guys try to fit those expectations, and three years into the relationship, all the passion is gone, can't make a commitment, he's interested in some other woman, or if he really was good at being feminized, she loses attraction for him. And so the average 
length of relationships today uh, is is five years. That's another statistic. You know, they're they're living together and they're then they move on. They move on. And uh, you know, when I counsel these young people, it's they their feeling is that well, we you know we like each other, we get along, we just not don't have that. We the passion is gone, the attraction is gone, the sex is gone, and I'm more interested in somebody else and. Uh, and what I do is analyze where did the passion go. And if you look at that hormonally, you can just see that for women to, to be uh, passionate and, and romantic, she needs a lot of this hormone, oxytocin. And for men, they need a lot of this hormone, testosterone. So a feminization of male might look like this, where a woman thinks, okay, uh, you should be planning dates, you should know what I want, you should be leaving me flowers and all these wonderful things all the time. And so these young guys, they go overboard to be romantic and it exhausts them, and uh, then they give up. Now, what I teach realistic expectations is women, men aren't going to know what you like all the time. Uh, you need to keep letting us know. You, have to, you know, my wife's wonderful. She tells me, this week the Moody Blues are in town. Will you get tickets? I go, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm good for it. You know, I'd like to go to the symphony. This symphony's here. We, we, would you like to go? And I say, yep, I'm, I'm in for it, you know, and... So she lets me know, you know, what makes her happy so that I can deliver that to her. Many, many men complain, I don't know what she wants. I don't know what she wants. And if I stop being romantic sometimes, Bork gets me, taxes, I'm doing taxes, I'm writing a book. She says, honey, you know, I'm feeling neglected. I love you. I miss you. Will you plan this date for me? And, or will you do something and surprise me? She asks, and this is a new lesson for women because Romance is if women have the idea, the expectation, they should never have to ask for romance, and then it should be automatic. And it is in the beginning, without a doubt. But after a while, if women are feeling a little neglected here and there, they need to ask and know that that's okay. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you, that you have to ask. So that would be one of the expectations that I help people overcome, which is the idea that if I have to ask, it doesn't count. You know, if I could make it to the extreme, you know, when women complain there's no romance, often that the notion of romance in a woman's mind sometimes, this is the extreme unrealistic expectation, is that he should know everything I want, even when I don't know, and provide it without my having to ask. And while if he does that, it's super exciting, um, it, 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 you can't maintain that weekly, you know, as an ongoing diet. But the truth is, in my mother's generation, romance wasn't so important. But in my generation, women are more stressed, and romance turns out to be a super oxytocin stimulator. So, you know, these new needs that women have are often expressed by complaints, and they have to learn how to communicate these new needs to men in a consistent way that doesn't sound like complaints. Otherwise, he just feels, oh, she's nagging me, and that just exhausts them and causes his testosterone levels to go down. So, you know, it's not an easy solution. It does take knowledge, and it takes practice and applying. If it was so easy, there wouldn't be so many failures when you think about over... 60, 70% of people are failing right. at marriage, you know, and why is it? It's a, it's a complete, as you say, uh, or you're bringing up the topic of unrealistic expectations, and the, and the top of the list for me would be the expectation that if my partner loves me, they'll know what to do, and they'll love me just the way I am and, and provide the kind of support that I need. And like my wife, you know, her thing recently is my needs are important. Like, of course your needs are important, and I'm so glad that she's willing to ask for the support she wants. As opposed right. to if a man neglects her by just not knowing or not realizing what her needs are, because so often they're different, then she gets the message that her needs aren't important, and then her self-esteem can go down, and then makes it harder for her to ask for what she wants. So these, it's, it's a complicated thing. And a large part of that, I think, grows out of uh, 
you know, out of the media, out of the movies, out of, you know, I mean, uh, young people today uh, have a different view on what a long-term relationship is based on on what they see uh, in the media. Do you do you think that's true? Well, the media plays a part over here. I put more emphasis on what they saw with their parents. I mean, that's what they see every day, and that's reality. And if you ask them, they'll often say, well, I'm more cautious about getting married because, you know, my parents got divorced, and I don't want to go through that. That's not what I want to provide for my children. So there's a a much greater caution, and that makes sense. The role I see that happens in the media is, you know, what you'll see is women will, will see a guy behaving in an incredibly romantic way, which has been, you know, the lighting was perfect. It was rehearsed ten times. It was The script was rewritten by three different writers, you know, and, and it's right. a completely unrealistic situation where he, he's invincible and he saves their life after many, many sacrifices and so forth. When you experience that vicariously by watching the movie, it produces so much of a hormonal reaction inside of her. It's like an intense, intense buildup of oxytocin. And then her brain goes, that's what I want. And, and that, you know, so that's another part of the unrealistic expectation. Um, right. the, 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 what they get from home is not having the expectation that marriage can succeed. And Dr. Gray, we have so many more questions to ask you, and we're just out of time. We're going to have to bring you back. But before I let you go, in about 15 seconds, please tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, best way to get your book. Oh, well, they can certainly go to MarsVenus.com, and there we people write in questions to me, and I have daily videos that I put out in answers to questions. And they can certainly go right on to Amazon, I think, from your site, and purchase the book, Venus on Fire, Mars on Ice. All right, wonderful. We've come to the end of another hour of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us and thank our special guest today, Dr. Gray, Dr. John Gray. It is a great read. Do get a hold of it. Venus on fire, Mars on ice. Until next time, remember, believing in yourself always matters.